Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, this is our twice annual episode where we come on here and have to preemptively apologize because we are not even just over 12 hours removed from the wrap-up of Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. And the worse the episode is, the better last night was. And I have to tell you, yesterday was an amazing day. So sincere apologies for any faults in our voice, our cognition, our opinions, although that's kind of just always with us. Yeah, we're, uh, we're really kind of trying to pull it together to put an episode together for you in sentences, so it seems. To put it lightly, we're going to be uh, struggling through this one. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, but I feel like my throat feels like it has. <laughs> I was going to say, what happened last night? I'm I don't know. Three packs at least. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Last night was Winged Wheel Podcast night at the LCA, but that doesn't mean we're not bringing you an episode today. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, Winged Wheel Podcast night, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco, mostly. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be talking about Detroit's past two games, especially last night's really fun, feisty win over the Boston Bruins. One hell of an original six matchup that saw a very electric LCA crowd. A whole lot of Boston Twitter pissed off at us, which is usually a good sign. A classic Marchand and Boston sucks chant and and lots more. Uh, We will unfortunately have to talk about the prior game, the loss against the Florida Panthers, where Detroit's offense just, I don't think, came to the arena. And we'll be uh, discussing individual storylines, Wallman, Raymond Larkin, uh, and lots more. We'll be talking about the schedule ahead as well as a quick standings update, an update on a Red Wings contract to come in terms of Michael Rasmussen's next contract apparently being negotiated. We'll be taking a look at news across the NHL and more before we jump into overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast, Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA, and pretty much anything that we do are almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show, our continued growth and efforts to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, partner with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, run Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA, and more special events to be announced soon. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. The benefits you get, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord. You get access to all of our bonus content, including Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. Uh, we post sometimes just extra bonus fun content. We posted uh, Brad and Evan's preseason hot takes just a few days ago for us to take an early look back and lots more. Also, we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast, vast majority of them going to our Patreon supporters. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast for all of that and lots more. Okay, let's start with winged wheel podcast night at the LCA. And first of all, a huge shout out to all of our friends at the Detroit Red Wings who worked really hard to help make this happen. Uh, shout out to um, all of our wives, I should say. Uh, Melissa, my wife, is the one event managing and is the only reason we are able to. Uh, basically, she's herding cats a lot of the time. Uh, speaking of cat, cat who is the newest to Winged Wheel Podcast Nights, and she's already a pro at this as well. And then obviously um, Crystal brought Hank and Mika who stole the show. If not for Chris Osgood, they would have stole the show. Hank, I do think will run through one of those beer garden glass walls one day. He is looking more and more like a bowling ball every time I see him in the best way. He's going to play football. You know that, right? Yeah, he's he's a really good skater, but he's got a bright future as a linebacker. <laughs> 
Uh, anyhow, massive thanks to everyone. And of course, to Ken Daniels and Chris Osgood, who were the stars, the special guests of the live episode. It was a really great show. We gave Mickey the break for this one and, and Chris Osgood stepped in and wow, was that a blast. He he took the roof off that place. Great stories and a lot of laughs out of people. So it was really fun. Yeah, that was a really great time. Uh, we are going to, as usual, we're going to try to see what we can do with the audio from that episode and then we'll post the video and the audio as well. And we'll give the... Patreon supporters, a sneak preview of that uh, too. And to all of you who came, I think near on 500 of you again, who you know bought tickets and came out and supported every ticket bought represented a donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, again, you know, we don't take a penny from these. It's all about supporting the foundation. So you got a discounted ticket and you were able to support a great cause and you got these sweet beanies. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, look at these custom Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast co-branded beanies. These are extremely high quality. I w- I from the pictures you you could tell that they looked really nice and I'm like these are going to turn out great. Then you get them in your hands and they are really nice. Yeah, they're beautiful. And we shouldn't be surprised after the caps. No, we shouldn't be. Those were great too. So the Winged Wheel Podcast Detroit Red Wings partnership uh continues strong as does the merchandise as well. Uh, and to all of you who came out to the concourse as well, we give away thousands of pieces of uh merchant It was really great to shake hands and and say hi to everyone. One thing we weren't able to give out in the concourse, but some of you got at Harry's Detroit after, were these uh, Mickey Redmond-inspired holy jumping totes, just simple little totes, which were uh, fun to hand out. So Mel actually designed these. They say holy jumping, which is uh, one of Mickey's... Mickey-isms. Yeah, many Mickey-isms, but that was one of our favorite ones. So that was uh, fun to give away. For those of you who didn't have an opportunity to get one of those, we'll, we'll find a way to get them out to you as well. If you got a ticket to the event and you weren't able to pick up your beanie, what you should do is email the email address I'll put in the description of this episode, or you go to the link where you actually got the ticket and scroll to the bottom. There'll be an email address for you to reach out to, let them know that you got a ticket, your name, et cetera, and they have all the hats uh, still spoken for for you. So you didn't you know, relinquish it. It's still there for you, and uh, it has your name on it. So again, what an incredible night. We can't wait to post that episode and that video. It was an absolute blast and we're always so so humbled to see so many of you out there if we if we didn't get a chance to talk to you or say hi uh that is our only regret from these days is that we're not able to kind of reach out to everyone who's there and it's just a testament to how incredible the support for the show and the jamie daniels foundation and everything has been it was we say this every time but those events really 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 recharge us and give us the you know the life to to run the show how we do it's super cool to see all the returning faces as well, and it's even more cool to see the people who listen to our podcast who now know each other from events and from being into the Discord and all that, and yeah. all them becoming friends. It's it's just a, a really cool experience, and uh, every time we do one of these, it's uh, it always blows my mind. Yeah, it's it's the best community in hockey. It is absolutely the best community in hockey, and you guys make it. We are just uh, humbled and privileged. Okay, let's talk about the game. Thank you to the Red Wings for not scoring against the Florida Panthers because that Boston game ended up being a classic original six. You know, punches being thrown, Marchand being booed, high-scoring affair, which saw... You remarked, Evan, that was one of the... It was like a, a callback to how full the Joe used to be for those games, and it wasn't dominated like as it used to be in previous years with Bruins fans as Detroit was in the throes of the rebuild. So that was... Really cool to see the LCA that full and that electric for that game. 
Yeah, there's few teams the Red Wings get up for, like the Bruins, and then you get a matchup of, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, first and second place in the Atlantic between the two. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, the animosity was at uh, the highest point it's been in a while. Dare I say playoff vibes a little bit last night? Oh, by the end of it, absolutely. Like, it was it was mean. It, obvious people didn't like each other out on that ice. The game was, for the most part, pretty close. Uh, lots of drama everywhere. It was extremely entertaining with two teams who do not like each other. And man, was I just feeling playoff vibes last night. And it's funny because through most of the first period, I was watching that game and I thought, Oh, no. Here we go again. <laughs> I, said, I can't do another episode talking about how good and clinical Boston is and how Detroit just kind of looked a little lost out there. You know, Brad and I were talking at first intermission. I didn't think Detroit, I think they looked just like not potent at all offensively and a little scrambly. I know, Brad, you had a little bit of a different uh, a take on how it went, but, you know, Van Riemsdyk scored that goal, which Brad will talk about in a second, was pretty avoidable and Quatra scored the goal after where, leading up to it, maybe something a little funky happened, but Justin Hall had a really weird uh, assessment on how to take a player just walking in on Huso, and yeah, I was like, oh no, are we about to have like a devastating winged wheel podcast tonight at the LCA where Detroit just gets run by the Bruins? Wouldn't be the first time this year the Red Wings got run by a black and gold team on a winged wheel podcast night, so I'm very happy that didn't repeat. Yeah, wow, that would have been upsetting. That would have been very upsetting considering how much I hate both of those teams. Yeah, but it was a, it was a slow start for Detroit, which has been a little bit of a trend. And yeah, let's talk about those first, I would say, 15 or 16 minutes up until Raymond scored after. The first 15 and 16 minutes, I, I know you said it was not a great start for Detroit, and it wasn't. I don't think it was that bad because nothing was really happening. It, Detroit wasn't generating a lot, but neither was Boston. It was kind of one of those chess match, you know, feeling each other out, see what the game plans are and how to attack it. You know, almost that more afraid to make a mistake hockey than it was, you know, go out and get it. And had it not been for Billy Husso forgetting how to cover a puck directly in front of him, that period probably would have ended 0-0 because that's just the way the game was going. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously, anytime a goal is scored, it changes the vibe in the arena, and that and the pace did pick up a little bit after that, especially after Poitra had the goal where the Red Wings had an absolute fire drill in their own end. Uh, you, you saw the urgency from Detroit after that, which obviously you never want to go down to nothing, but hey, it kick-started them at least, so it got the ball rolling on the rest of the game for them at the very least. Really huge for Lucas Raymond with a lot of time and space on that power play goal. He got the puck from Perron and... That that, no-look pass was sick. This was Perron's best game of the season. Oh, comfortably. First star of the game. You know, a goal and two assists for three points. So, And we were talking, I think, last episode of Perron's not looked himself and we're wondering if it's just taking him a little bit longer to shake off the rust, which is very common for talented players who are, you know, well into their age curve, so to say, and... Yeah, if that is Perron's, you know, wake-up game, absolutely will take the weight because he was dominating, and Detroit doesn't beat Boston without him. But, yeah, he got that uh, amazing pass, and Raymond had the kind of time and space that every shooter in the NHL dreams of having, and he made no mistake. He actually double-clutched, and I, I thought in an instant, like, oh, no, you had to fire that right away. 
even with squaring up, he was able to beat Ulmerk and and get Detroit on the board at the end of the first period, which is great for that game, but also continues Lucas Raymond's, I think, really, really solid play of late. Yeah, the counting stats are starting to drop for him too, which is nice because even at the beginning of the year, I think everybody felt like he was playing pretty well, but the numbers just weren't there to back it up. But that seems to be coming along now after a string of good games and then a bit of a dip, but the dip was more a entire team thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, he, he had a very, very strong night last night. Four goals and six assists through ten, uh, through 12 games for 10 points. is You'll take that for Lucas Raymond, oh, 100%. Absolutely. And then in the second period, another power play goal, Jake Wallman with a blast from the right side and then a classic like TikTok all-star celebration as well. He is just one of the most fun players in the NHL. Hey, it, you are playing a game after all. Yeah. Have fun with it. There's also a fun little stat that I was um, listening to on my drive home this morning. That was the first goal the Bruins have given up this year outside of the home plate area. Really? Yeah, that's how dominant Boston's been this year. That was the first goal from distance. Nobody was stopping that. Oh, no. No chance. The only thing that pissed me off about the goal is that they didn't actually have the water bottle on top of the net, so we didn't get the satisfying water bottle eight feet in the air Mm -hmm. moment out of it. But, yeah, it was a great play, great pass, and then... That was right in uh, Wheelman's... Right in Wallman's wheelhouse. <laughs> so, sometimes you got to manufacture some offense and get some rebounds and create really good looks that challenge the goalie. Sometimes you uh, just blow it by him. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> said, here is the hardest I can possibly shoot a puck. Good luck. I think I saw some sort of chart recently and it was, you know, the the most, how many guys have had over a hundred mile per hour shot. And it's like, uh, I think Jake Wallman was right up there. He was like, amongst one of the best shooters. And at Goss's Bear too. was up there too. Goss's Bear had one. And I, I think I can pick out the exact shot he had that cleared 100 miles an hour on his goal. I'm pretty sure. But Wallman had like four or five shots. I can't remember it. who was number one, but they were number one by Ryan Pulak. Was it? Yeah. And he was like first by like a country mile. Yeah. yeah. More than yeah. double the next guy. The, the Red Wings ended up actually going down 3 2. After that Wallman goal, which was a little bit of a buzzkill, but in the third period, Dylan Larkin, it was it was some more stagnant play, actually, and Dylan Larkin very much had like a Thanos, like, I'll do it myself moment. And before his goal, credit to Lucas Raymond, very smart, had the puck uh, moving up the neutral zone, kind of like leaking out to the right, moving pretty slowly. And what that did was spread the two Boston defenders out and pull them his way a little bit. And Dylan Larkin streaking up the left side. He found him with a good pass and allowed Larkin just the right amount of time and space to receive the pass and use his speed to get around the defender. And then, you know, did what he likes to do, which is get around the defender, pull the puck in and beat the goalie quick, which was Dylan Larkin very much decided, no, I'm breaking through and I'm tying this game again. But clever play by Lucas Raymond as well. I'll trust you in that he did it on purpose. <laughs> you don't think he was just trying to get off the ice? That was at the end of a very, very long shift. And I think they were hemmed in their own zone for most of it. So when yeah. he got that puck in the neutral zone, I remember having that distinct feeling of, oh, okay, now just get it out of here. And then all of a sudden you you could see from, you know, in the arena, Larkin was going and we're like, is he nuts? And then, yeah, Raymond with the perfect pass, Larkin goes in and scores and we're like, we went from, oh, thank God we survived that shift to the game is tied somehow. And this is now, yeah, it changed the dynamic of the the game. I tend to think it was intentional because, you know, how many times out of 10 would that be a dump in otherwise? Oh, 100%. After a long shift, especially because you cleared the red line. 
And then after the Larkin goal was uh, Perron, he was able to get a second crack at his first shot, which didn't get through, and in a little mini scramble in the slot, banged home his own rebound, and that was uh, Perron's tally on the scoreboard. He had two assists, like I mentioned earlier, and that was, what, two minutes after the Larkin goal, and then just not even two minutes after that was Cop's goal, which uh, he banged in the Comfort rebound, which I believe hit the crossbar, and that was 5-3 Detroit. So Detroit was bang, bang, bang. You know what my first thought was? I was sitting up in the gondola where, where Ken and Mick called the games from with the rest of the Winged Wheel podcast night crowd. I was like, this gold horn is incredible. It is so good in person. If you have not been out to the LCA to hear the gold horn in person, do it. It reminds you of the Joe. Oh, it's phenomenal. I didn't actually really get to experience the gold song, though. Couldn't hear it. Really? The crowd was so damn loud. I oh. Was, in our section, I couldn't hear. I like The speakers must be up in the gondola because I heard it. You could hear it, but not. Clearly, it was just so damn loud, at least in our section. Good for the LCA. Good yeah, for Wheel Podcast. Phenomenal. Yeah, that was. And you know what? Watching that, everyone had a breath of relief because you're like, oh, you're wondering how much of the, you know, Florida games where you just can't break through a goalie and you have some good chances and some disorganization and it looks like Detroit's offense disappears. And it's I think it's important for the when it rains, it pours to come out because that also instills quite a bit of confidence in the team's offense and they scored every which way individual efforts power play goals you know depth goals from uh you know the cop confer pair and and rasmussen or whoever else where you're like they're either completely on or completely off offensively it was a good night of of scoring for detroit yeah the range of emotions in that game was phenomenal yeah uh after the poitra roll, i had that here we go again yeah uh, line them up this one's gonna be done in a hurry then Wallman scored, and you go to, might win this game. Larkin scores. Oh, we're never losing again. <laughs> the It was 5-3 with 10 minutes left, and it's Boston, right? Like, you're not going to imagine that it's going to be a walk after that, but Detroit was playing well, and then there was a penalty, and I really try not to be a guy to whine about individual penalties, but Cop tried to hold the blue line where he was ahead of the play and had to stop and basically step back to hold the blue line. And there is a Boston player behind him who was his momentum carried him into cop's path. And with cop sticking his leg out to hold the blue line tripped over him. Now did hit, did cops actions trip the player? Yes. Do I, is it provable beyond a reasonable doubt that he tripped the player on purpose? No, because he was actively trying to hold the blue line. And that was a tripping penalty in the eyes of the referee. And I, I'm not, I don't want to be a, uh, this individual referee sucks guy. You know, I was tortured by Tim Peel's employment in this league for long enough. And I don't want to do that again, but my God, how is that a tripping penalty at that point in the game? And you knew the moment that was called Boston was going to score and they made quick work of that power play. And it was a one goal game. There were a lot of refuse suck chance in that building that night. They're coming from both fan bases too. I think that's when we. Both fan bases united in one chant. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is never a good sign when both teams can sit there, shake hands, and go, yeah, these refs are terrible tonight. And you and you knew as the game was progressing, the Red Wings kept getting like very suspect call after suspect call. I'm like, there's no way the next penalty is going to be against Detroit. And sure enough, there was a bit of a weak hold on. I don't know who they called on Boston, but it was kind of weak. And I was like, okay, here comes the game management. And... Boston ended up taking the next three, four, maybe yeah. five penalties. Yeah, it was a Charlie Coyle holding. Yeah, it was it. Yeah. And then, you know, 
angry from the box was the abuse of officials. And then there is on Detroit's five on three, there was essentially Larkin was just a, it was a normal like side of the net. Like you tried to bang in a rebound or whatever. And because Boston was pissed off and they had lost, they knew they had lost the game with under two minutes left. Out comes on Brad Marchand. Well, first it was Hampus Lindholm. And then he basically tackled Dylan Larkin and had him in like a, a hold on the ice. And it was a full everyone grabbed a guy, whatever. And you know what? As a Red Wings fan, you boo and you're pissed off. But that's that's just what Boston was doing. It is what it is. Uh, the the ref gave Larkin and Lindholm both misconducts just to get him out of the game, which is a very common thing. Someone was like, oh, Larkin didn't deserve a misconduct. And it's like at that point, everyone knows the game is over. You're just getting guys off the ice to stop the last 20 seconds from taking three hours. And then it was the uh, at the end of the game it was right off the face off Marchand, you know, throws a punch, throws a cross check, does typical Brad Marchand stuff. And you know what? That was Boston's first regulation loss, which is really satisfying for Red Wings fans. And that was an original six win for Detroit, which is really satisfying for Red Wings fans. But watching Boston throw their, you know, little fit. Oh, man. Injected right to my eyeballs. Absolutely. Yeah. You threw your toys out of the stroller. You're that mad about your first loss. Wherein, should it have been 5-4 in the first place? I I say no. That's that. That's the beauty. That's the kind of feisty hockey. Like I, I tweeted out about Brad Marchand and how they were, you know, uh, basically the way they were throwing a fit at the end end of the game was indicative of a team that was captained by Brad Marchand because it's fun. And that's if, the, if, if Boston fans aren't that self aware to realize that, then they're idiots. It's like that's what you love to see. Like that's the kind of game you want to win in the moment. Everyone from both fan bases is heated. That is the kind of original six. Like nitty gritty, high scoring, exciting, dramatic hockey that you absolutely love to watch, especially in person. That was a hell of a game. The Boston sucks chance were electric. Yeah. That's why I was getting playoff vibes. Imagine you got game two tomorrow and it's like, okay, like both these teams hate each other. The refs really threw a stick of dynamite into this one. It was great. Yeah. Rasmussen was also not impressed with the refereeing. I think it was the Pasternak goal. Yeah, the 5-4 uh, goal. Yeah, somebody slashed Rasmussen's stick right out of his hands, and that just opened up the lane to Pasternak to be wide open. Man, Michael Rasmussen was doing his best crazy eyes last night because everybody was pissing him off. And he has resting crazy eyes, so yeah. that's horrifying. I hope he doesn't bring that to the negotiating table because he might have a $10 million contract. I was really hoping he <laughs> scored that end-of-the-game breakaway. It looked like he didn't really want to. Then he's like, no, I hate Boston. That's right. Oh, man, I wish he would have scored that. Someone replied to my uh, my tweet and said, I wish Michael Rasmussen took a full wind-up clapper from the I, slot. I honestly thought he was going to. I, I mean, would've I would have, but. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, okay, one fan in the crowd that we have to give credit to, who I believe in the Winged Wheel podcast section started the Boston Sucks chant, is none other than Mika Crisco. So, yeah. Crystal, whatever you're doing to raise that kid, it's going well, because Mika was absolutely uh, a star fan in there, and she got the whole LCA going. The best word I could use to describe Mika in the stands for that game was feral. <laughs> she was... Like the Red Wings would score, she's not yelling "Let's go Red Wings." She's yelling "Suck it, Boston!" <laughs> and when Marshan got tossed, she was the one who uh, started yelling "Boston sucks!" And credit to everybody in our section because, like, uh, the guys and girls around her like ran with it as soon as she started it, and then soon enough, the whole building was going. And she was that was the highlight of her night for sure. But it was 
yeah, insane in this crowd. Like, I don't know what the gondola was like because you guys were up there, but it oh, was a zoo. But yeah, it was nuts where we were sitting. It's very cool to look down at the WWP sections and just seeing it more full. And also, the you it's nice because everyone was wearing the beanies, so it was uh, easy to pick people out. Anyhow, Detroit ended up hanging on 5-4, Boston's first regulation loss, an important win for Detroit after a tough Atlantic Division rival loss against Florida. So let's let's jump into that quickly, and that's a quick one. 2-0. Detroit couldn't break through at all, 22 shots on goal, but I, I don't think the offense had more than a few moments of threatening whatsoever. I mean this statement literally. I can't remember a single moment other than when Reimer put the puck into his own net. And, you know, the conversation is, oh, yeah, Reimer let in a bad goal where it hit off his glove, pretty much in and out of his glove, and then bounced off of his back and came down. And it actually wouldn't have gone in the net had he not moved backwards and pushed it in the net. And it was a fluky, crummy goal for Reimer to let in. He stopped the other ones, and Detroit couldn't score once. So did Reimer mess up? Yeah, but, you know, we talked uh, last episode his he kind of looks a little bit wonky in net, but the puck doesn't really get past him, and you're wondering if you know what that's all about. He still stopped the puck. The one he let in was bad, yeah, but it was just one in Detroit, one bad one. And Detroit couldn't. Bobrovsky was on one that night, oh, he, as he is usually against Detroit. Yeah, my statement was not a shot at Reimer. That was more a commentary on how awful that game was. That, yeah, that was the only memorable moment. Yeah, again, my working theory is that they were just saving all the offense for the Boston game, which good for them, but. You know, for all the excitement of the Boston game and the loss of the Florida game, like that is, we talk a lot about who are the Red Wings really and what kind of winning can you expect. That set of two games is a reasonable outcome for Detroit, but it doesn't make the Florida game a good, you know, effort. You'd rather lose in a way where you can still show that you did something better than 0 for 5 on the power play or that you were able to to break through offensively whatsoever. it did have a tweener attempt, which would have been a all-time highlight real goal for him, but... That was pretty much all the excitement. And Sider had a big open ice hit on Verhage. But that was was pretty much it. Okay, and then Detroit upcoming has one more game uh, before next episode. It is Tuesday at 7.30 Eastern in New York at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers. Uh, So that is Detroit's next game. And let's take a quick look at the standings right now. The Eastern Conference in the Atlantic, the three divisional seeds, Boston, 19 points in 11 games played. Detroit, 15 points in 12 games played. And Tampa, 13 points in 11 games played. So Tampa could uh, match Detroit's points total with their game in hand. Uh, Additionally, you know, you get into the Leafs, who would be one point behind if they win their game in hand or whatever. But uh, Detroit's doing well right now. Uh, Florida has two games in hand as well, so they could also catch up to Detroit based on points percentage. But it's still really early in the season. But... Despite Detroit's little bit of losing there, five total losses, four in regulation, they're still hanging on to that strong start. They're not quite Boston with 19 points in 11 games, but they're they're setting a good foundation for themselves to be in a good position, you know, coming into Thanksgiving and the holidays thereafter. I know people will say, oh, Boston was shorthanded. They didn't have McAvoy, which is mostly his own or entirely his own fault. And you know what? You got to still win those games. There's been years in in Red Wings past where they'd come up against these the, the big teams who are shorthanded and still get waxed. So, 
you know, you got to go out and win those games, and it's it is unfortunate Detroit couldn't beat Florida the other night, but uh, yeah, they're not good. They're yeah, you're not going to win everyone, but they're still second in the division. They're sitting pretty right now. Boston was missing McAvoy and Grizzlick. We were missing Fabry and Fisher. Same thing. Exactly. exactly one for one. Yeah. It is like New York, Montreal, Columbus. You do want to close out that stretch strong before you head into the Sweden trip, which starts on November 16th, those two games against uh, Ottawa and Toronto. And I'm not saying those have to all be wins. Like Evan said, you're not going to win every game, but this is where now that the Red Wings are, you know, leveling out a little bit and you understand who they are as a team, you can start to point to what did they need to work on? Are they better in the ways that we talked about at the start of the year? And even after a few games, yeah, I still maintain that. Like they still have the offensive firepower and the ability to be threatening, especially on the power play. But now they have to work on consistency. They have to work on adaptability. I think they get shut down too easily and for entire games by some teams. And they have to find a way to turn it on sooner. There's never going to be a team that for 82 games plays a full 60 minutes. That's just not the way the NHL works. But I think too often Detroit either can't turn it on or, you know, they take a period or two and then they have to hope that at that point the other team hasn't scored uh, enough to put the game out of reach, which I will give the Red Wings credit. This year's Detroit Red Wings is way, way more adept at not letting the other team run up the score even when their offense is faltering. But the offense, it feels like they need to kind of find their groove before they're able to, to put up meaningful chances. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, you can take it as a positive or a negative because the narrative could easily swing both ways. They had three games this week, and they trailed 2 nothing in all of them at some point, and their record was 2-1. and one. It is extremely difficult to have success in the NHL if you're chasing games. Yes. But? Why do you think the Leafs haven't? have only made it out of the first round once in the past, well, in the Austin, Mas- well, well, Austin Matthews era. Well, that's because they didn't have Ryan Reeves chasing players around. Yeah, that's, that is very true. They still don't. They but... still don't, yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll get into that. Don't worry. How good has Jake Wallman been this season, man? He's just so much fun. I know we talked about it before, but... He's the new, most underrated player in the league. He actually would be up there, in my mind. He he is very much in that conversation. Is it weird if I say I don't think he's ultra-talented? He's just, like, extremely athletic. He doesn't really do anything for me that's, like, wows me from a defensive perspective, but he can wire the puck. He's always in the right spot, and he has extreme athleticism that makes him very, very good at being a defenseman. Let's talk. Let's say Miro Heiskin. You're like this guy is incredible in transition. His skate, skating, and edge work is just at another level. Like this is not an anti Jake Wallman statement either. I what he does with what he has and his work ethic is yeah. is elite, and his shot is clearly elite. I think he's been the best defenseman for Detroit, which is not a hot take at all. If if you're talking tools, I get what you're saying. He he is a plus skater, plus shot, better hands than I think he gets credit for. We've seen him do that inside out move uh, on the blue line a bunch. But if you're talking about elite traits, he has some uh, elite rush defender. Yes, um, you know, very very good defending the cycle in the O zone, and uh, again, you could say very good elite. You know puck mover in transition yeah he's very when he doesn't have well he can shake pressure because he's a good skater but when teams don't you know come in hard on the forecheck he can just carry the puck out it's it's 
very easy for him to do that. He's that kind of archetypal, not elite. He's not Amiro Haskinen. He's obviously not Kale McCarr. He's not Mo Sider. And, and even though he's playing probably better than Mo Sider this season, like you know what Mo Sider's talent level is. But he is the kind of defenseman that every team needs to complement those players. And he is just he is just an extremely, extremely solid player. Big body too. People forget that as well. Like he he's a big boy and he's not, you know, uh, often like the exciting players, the the young, fun players, people think they're all the size of Quinn Hughes. No, he's he's a big boy and he's he can throw his weight around too. So Jake Wallman's He's a total package right now. Hundred percent for the Red Wings. Great contract for him too. You know, the only regret, and this is probably by Wallman's design, is that that contract's not eight years. But yeah, that is an incredible find for Detroit. St. Louis fans have been seething and continue to seethe at losing Jake Wallman the way they did in that trade. Oh, they're fine. They still have Nick Letty. Man, that is one of the most like underappreciated lopsided trades in recent NHL history. I think this. In hindsight, it's always twenty twenty. But I remember when the Red Wings acquired Nick Letty from the Islanders. Most people disliked that trade. All of us looked at that trade and went, "That's a bad trade." And the way that played out that season, that was a bad trade. We were right, but that trade led us to Jake Holman. So task failed successfully. It turned out to be a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal trade in the end. All right. Uh, let's get into some more Red Wings news. It was reported by Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts, his blog uh, with Sportsnet, that Michael Rasmussen's uh, upcoming contract, he's an RFA at the end of the season, is uh, apparently being worked on between him and the Red Wings. And it's always surprising when you hear these things because you almost never hear anything come out of Detroit in terms of contract negotiations. Uh, but this is going to be an important one for Detroit coming into the season. We talked a lot about Michael Rasmussen and, you know, what, how is he going to factor into this rebuild or the, you know, coming out of the rebuild? What's he going to do in terms of uh, improving this year after a really, really strong few seasons there? And uh, Michael Rasmussen, currently 24 years old, makes $1.46 million and is obviously due for a raise, arbitration eligible RFA. So what do you make of what might be next for Ras? Concern, if I'm being brutally honest, he has not had a good year. He's He's been one of the very few, but one of the disappointments on the Red Wings this year, in my opinion. You know, we had high expectations for him going into this year, although I, I did spend probably too much time this summer tempering people's expectations because he's that player who you love, and rightfully so. He's a fan favorite. He should be. He deserves to be. But he's a plus skater, really good defensively, does not bring any creativity, much passing ability, a ton of hockey IQ to the table. But he's a plus defender. And, you know, he can he can get the puck to the net. Like when he's got the puck in transition with his speed and, you know, he can he can drive the net. It rarely goes in, but he can get it there and create some rebounds, create some chances. He is beloved by the fan base, I think overvalued by the fan base and the way I've perceived it, the organization as well. I hate to draw this comparison, but the similarities here to what he is now and what Darren Helm was when he signed his contract are pretty substantial. 
Rasmussen has the benefit of age that Darren Helm did not have at that time, which is a huge, huge, huge factor and why I'm not going to say it is a one-to-one comparison, but I feel the same risks are there. Michael Rasmussen is not a guy you give five-plus years to and, you know, three, four-plus million dollars to. He's not. He is super replaceable. You And that's not to say you don't need guys like him in the lineup. You do. Every team needs a Michael Rasmussen, but there's a lot of them in the league and you can get them for not a lot of money and not a lot of term. That's all I'm saying. We've been down this path with Abdul Kader and Darren Helm and guys of that role, we'll call it, and every time the Red Wings signed them to term and AAV, it bit them in the ass royally. I'm not saying don't extend Rasmussen before people (laughs) come at me in the comments because I can see it already. I want to keep Rasmussen. I would keep Rasmussen, but there is a limit on that contract that I would run an absolute hard line on. And if he is not willing to meet it, I'd be perfectly comfortable letting him just, you know, minimum contract till free agency. Prashant Iyer, a good friend of the show, uh, estimated on Twitter that it would be something in the four to five year range around 2.8 to 3.4 million AAV. Which would be fine. That, yeah, in... Rasmussen, I think, I agree with you that he's not having a good year. Like, one goal, two assists, despite the defensive impacts, which have been fantastic with that line. I agree. He's had a bad year outside of that. And you saw what he was able to do in previous seasons where he wasn't an offensive stalwart, but he was able to unlock parts of his offensive game by just, you know, driving the net, not being asked to carry the play, but making sure that he can make, you know, as you refer to it, plus plays in the offensive zone or at least generate chances. He looks off offensively he had that whiff against florida where he had a wide open net and just hit the post like he knew you saw it on his face he just doesn't have that touch right now i think it'll it'll come back he'll have to regress to the mean in a positive way but overall i generally agree with you brad i think he's the kind of player where you can't overspend for the impacts that he brings because other players of different types not all of them are going to be six foot six and have the you know emotional and physical impact that Michael Rasmussen has on this team, I think he's very important, which is why I'll push back a little bit on replaceable. I think he's unique, and he'll be 25 at the time of signing. So I think that makes it a little bit more important to keep him, but it's not. it can't be at, at big dollar. Like, you, you can't... This can't be a cop contract or a comfort contract or anything like that, in my mind. No, that around $3 million, four to five years, that sounds perfect for what he is. You pay him like a third liner because he is a third liner. Full stop. Can he moonlight in the top six with injuries? Sure. And will he look out of place there? A little bit, but he can, for the most part, do the job. Not as effectively as true top six forwards. If he can be, again, an above average plus defender, penalty killer, who can chip in 25 to 30 points on the third line and cause a lot of you know shit while he's out there for the other team, that's worth three mil but not more than that. I think he has probably in him some, you know, breakout seasons in terms of offense, which in my mind are 40 to 50 points. I'm still extremely skeptical of that. Even last year when he was performing, it didn't look sustainable. And I know we talked about that at length, so I I don't feel like beating that dead horse again. 
That I think last year was his ceiling. I think that was the absolute best version of Michael Rasmussen we're ever going to get. Thirty-ish points. Yeah, I think he actually was close to half a point per game, which was which would be phenomenal. Just a bit over twenty-nine points in fifty-six yeah. games. Yeah, I think that that is his ceiling over the course of an eighty-two game season. And again, it's good, but just be aware it's not not impossible, but it's very unlikely to go up from there. I don't think what we're saying is totally out of the realm of what everyone else is thinking. Like, I think the general consensus is, yes, we like Michael Rasmussen. He's a fan favorite. Yes, he goes and it plays some hard minutes and does some of the things the star players don't have to do. But you can't give them, you can't back up the Brinks truck and pay them long term. I don't think that's totally crazy. Well, we'll see what comes of that. We've heard plenty of times that contracts are being worked on and, Eiserman has no problem running out the clock or stretching out contract negotiations, especially for people under team control. He is, as GMs should be, very willing to use team control to his advantage. So it's he's an arbitration eligible RFA, which does give him some, you know, something to team work with. He says two, he says four. They he gets three. Uh, yeah, I bet <laughs> I can guess the arbitration number, but yeah. We'll see what comes of that. Okay, let's jump into some league news before overtime. We talked about Brad Marchand, and we talked about you know how it's his job to uh, piss the other teams off. And, and I want to say, man, does he do a good job of that? <laughs> you love to hate Brad Marchand. I loved to hate Brad Marchand at the end of that game, and it does not change the fact that he is elite at what he does. So, like you know, for everyone coming at me in the comments saying, "Oh, blah blah, blah Marchand uh, owns you, or he's elite, or he's better," like, yeah, you're you're right. This is that's the that's the parlay that. Bruins and the rest of the league make like you love to hate Brad Marchand. Something that gets me though is when he gets away with doing things like what he did to Liljegren. That can opener move popped open his skate. Liljegren's out a long time, has to miss playing in front of his friends and family on the Sweden trip with Toronto. Uh, we'll we'll talk about Reeves and Toronto's response in a second, but that's the part where I'm like, <sighs> he's the type of guy who does not get benefit of the doubt. No, no, no. It, absolutely not. Like you're not you're not that kind of player by towing the line. You tow the line on average, which means you step over it sometimes, and sometimes you you stop just short. He went over the line on that one, and I think he's fortunate to have walked away from that game without a proper response. I think if the team wasn't the Toronto Maple Leafs, he probably would have had to have answered for that. If that happened against Detroit, call back to our last conversation. He's going to get an awful lot of Michael Rasmussen for the rest of that night. We were joking at dinner before the night before when we were podcast night. Dylan Larkin's ready to throw hands just because the wind blows the wrong way. Like, that, it is a different mentality. There were a lot of scrums and scraps last night, and that and it wasn't over all that much. No. So you could imagine if something like that happened, Detroit would have a response. And I think he's lucky to get away without a suspension on that one. That's a dangerous play. And now Lilligren has a high ankle sprain and is out long-term. The Leafs put him on LTIR. So it wasn't a, oh, that could have been bad situation. It was bad. It was really bad. And it was intentional and dangerous. And everything you would check in the suspension box, just they've never called a suspension for a can opener because it usually doesn't happen two feet from the boards. When, like, what is the point of Ryan Reeves on Toronto? (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I'm so sorry to feed into this whole, like... Uh, it's not even not even Ryan Reeves. They brought in Max Domi and Tyler Bertuzzi as well to, you know, bring in the, the, the response factor, yeah, whatever but, that might be. 
But they're not fighters. They're agitators. That's different. Like, Reeves is supposed to be the nuclear deterrent. And neither is Marshawn. He's an agitator. For me, it's like, you're, the response to that wasn't good enough from Toronto. If I'm Lily Grin or a Toronto fan and I see Keefe's comments or Reeves' comments, and it's very much like, a, we're all trying to find the guy who did this vibes. Like, I didn't like the response. You're the coach. I'm sorry. Like... I'm not calling for anyone to be hurt. You don't do that. I don't care how much you, you hate Brad Marchand or whatever. But at every given opportunity, Toronto should have been trying to embed him in the ice physically. Or you until that until they were the release valve was actually able to blow up and then a scrap happened. Like the the reason Brad Marchand does this is because he's elite at doing something terrible to your team and then scurrying away. Like a rodent. I also think it gets Brad Marchand into games when he's not in them. Oh, 100%. If he's not having a good game, I you can almost guarantee he's going to get into the shit because it gets him going. And this is why teams like Boston win when it matters, and this is why teams like Toronto loses when it matters. I'm sorry. that The, the whole response from the Leafs, it's... I don't know how you can say this already. It's November, but they've become a parody of themselves from a month ago where Reeves is popping off about Corey Perry, and it's like, yeah, he scored the winning goal and you did nothing about it. What are you even talking about? And then Lilligren gets injured. Reeves goes on a mic and says, well, first of all, stop talking to our bench. And second of all, he's lucky I wasn't on the ice with you. And it's like, Ryan, you're a dash six playing like four minutes a night somehow. Wait, which Ryan? (laughs) It could apply to me. (laughs) That could be you. And your coach will never put you out against Brad Marchand because the Bruins would score within 12 seconds of you touching the ice in that situation. And it's just comical to the point. He keeps talking about all this shit he's going to do and he hasn't done any of it. And a lot of, you know, Lee fans say, well, we can't take the instigator penalty. Who gives a shit? I just don't, I just don't buy that at all. And yeah, don't mean to cut you off, Brad, but for me, it starts at the top. Look at the Red Wings. The Red Wings never really had an answer. And then Dylan Larkin took it upon himself. And now this team, it's, you know, you touch anybody, anyone could come after you. Yeah. No one is going to take anybody's shit out there, whether it's Dylan Larkin, Moritz Sider, or Christian Fisher. Somebody's going to come up to you and, and try and make and try and solve the problem. And the Leafs do not have that. And it, it's not even about winning the fight. It's just about making sure you punch someone in the face. If Sider ends up on his back, but he punches up and hits someone in the face, that's what matters if they feel their nose get punched. You, For me, it's... You need to feel like the guys you're playing with have your back at all times. Mm-hmm. And if you ever doubt that, it's going to be extremely difficult to win in the playoffs because that's when it gets turned up to a 1,000 and it, it's a battle. I would argue in Toronto, it goes even higher than what you're talking about. The Toronto Maple Leafs GM, Brad Tree Living, gave the literal worst hockey player in the NHL a three-year contract because he's really good at punching people in the face. He is elite at punching people he is in the face. absolutely elite at punching people in the face. Terrible at hockey, but great face puncher. And then you have a coach. <laughs> That's going on a shirt. We should put that on a shirt. <laughs> we'll send him one. Terrible at hockey, great podcasters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shit, that's two shirts. <laughs> but then you have a coach who won't use him for his intended purpose. Why? Because he's terrible at hockey. And Sheldon Keefe understands bad things happen when Ryan Reeves on the ice, and those bad things aren't happening to the other team. So the disconnect in this organization is laughable, and I'm glad you brought up the point of Lilligren, who's got to be sitting in his cast looking at this going, why are you here? 
Yeah. What are we even doing here? Nobody stands up for anybody. And then Leafs Twitter has a meltdown because Marshan's chirping Reeves on the bench and Bertuzzi's sitting there laughing. And they're like, oh, how is Bertuzzi laughing in this situation? Like every single one of us on the face of the earth hasn't laughed in the face of someone we hate doing something, saying something stupid. Like you can see the head shake and the look on Bertuzzi's face that whatever Marshan was he's saying. He's an idiot. Yeah, he's just going <laughs> laughing. This guy's an idiot. And like, oh, he played together last year. Yeah, so he's acutely aware of the fact. Yeah. Like the it's like Marshan specializes in the kind of words that come with a shit eating grin. And you saw the shit eating grin. So you're like, whatever he was saying was just so ridiculous. Some people would get pissed in the moment and would laugh about it after. Not that they like have to like Marshan. And Bert Bert is the most unserious player in the NHL. Like, when they ask him why he doesn't tape the top of his stick, he goes, huh, I'm lazy. Like, absolutely, <laughs> and I mean this in a completely endearing way, just a colossal goof. So, no one should, that is Tyler Bertuzzi to a T. It's, I, you know, the Atlantic's great right now. Everybody else is melting on, <laughs> melting down around us, and we're just vibing. Yeah. I, I absolutely, I absolutely love it. Buffalo's 500, Ottawa's dead last in the division and all this shit going Montre- on with them. Montreal's three points behind the Red Wings. Oh, like, my God. Tor- the Atlantic Tor- is a mess. Yeah, Toronto, everybody hates each other in the fan base, in the organization. You know, Tampa, Boston, and Detroit sitting there going, I don't know, we're having a good time. Yeah, this is cool. It's like we're like, oh, Detroit's offense isn't potent enough for the first 13 minutes. And Toronto's like, we have 17 front page articles about a guy who plays six minutes a night. <laughs> and none of them are good. No, it's... I'm not saying Detroit's going to walk away from this with as one of those top teams, but yeah, they, I'm very much appreciative of how Detroit season has started compared to the Atlantic Division worst Ottawa Senators. Holy! Well, nothing new has happened. And oh no, their fans booed them last night, and <laughs> Brady Kachuk went off about it. Oh my god! It's hard to describe loser energy. But it's so obvious when you see it. After that conversation with Reeves and watching his press conference, and then. Kachuk getting upset that the fans were upset with their performance. Like, come on. The fans should be upset. I'm if sorry. If you pay good money to go watch an NHL, uh, any, if you go pay mo- good money to do anything, you should be able to do whatever the hell you want. You want to boo someone? You want to, I don't know, anything. You want to, teams should be booed when they suck. They should. That is, These are grown men. Who are pay- being paid many millions of dollars. Also, if for those who don't know, the Ottawa Arena is not in Ottawa. It's actually in a town called Canada, and it is one major thoroughfare in and one major thoroughfare out. It is so you a, pay good money, and then you got to sit in your car for an hour trying to get out of the parking lot. It honestly does I'd, take an hour. I, you know, and I'm I'm booing every single chance I get if that team stinks. And Shane Pinto or no Shane Pinto, and I understand they've had injuries too. That team is on paper better than. Four, six, and zero oh in their first ten. It is early. I'm not going to count Ottawa as the eighth of eight teams in the Atlantic. I, I'd be surprised if they're even there around Christmas time. I think that's a good hockey team relative to what they're actually playing at right now. Yeah, this year's supposed to be better. This year, you talked your shit. Like it, you got to back it up. The Atlantic is great right now. And once this flips and Detroit's in a really bad stretch, let's see how smug we are about it. But it's it's we got to take it when we can. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, speaking of teams who are doing terrible, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the 0-10-1 San Jose Sharks. Hold on, careful using that word around them right now. <laughs> I cannot. That, that, that Why number, are you being so polite? You that, only called them terrible. <laughs> no, that number 10 is a bit triggering to Sharks fans right now. I cannot believe 
how historically bad the San Jose Sharks are. You could believe it coming into the season. Everyone knew the San Jose Sharks were going to be special kind of bad. You know, they traded Eric Carlson and essentially leaned so hard into this rebuild. Their cap structure was bad for a long time. And the moment they kind of let themselves fall out of their window, they were like for a while there, they were like a St. Louis Washington caliber team where any given year when they were good and they still had Pavelski, Marlowe, Thornton, you're like, "Mm, they could do it. And they never did. And then they withered away to this. I understand how they're here, but this is almost still unacceptable for the worst team in the league, right? Oh, it's completely unacceptable. And I'm going to, I don't know how many, if you saw the incident in Vancouver that gave me big leaf vibes where Kuzmenko got a pass in front of the net, corralled the puck, shot, scored, but because it was a cross-ice pass, Capo Kakinen, San Jose's goalie, his momentum carried him that way as Kuzmenko was going towards the net. And right after Kuzmenko shot the puck in the net, his knee clipped Kakinen in the side of the head. Like it looked bad right away. Mm -hmm. And you could tell it was bad right away because Kuzmenko completely abandoned the celebration to check if Kakinen was all right, which, hey, big props to Kuzmenko. That's really good of him because head injuries you don't want to screw around with. And then three more of uh, Kuzmenko's uh, Canuck teammates came up to him and then realized what had happened and you know, I think it was Kuzmenko and Friedman checked in to like on Kakinen, like, hey man, you good? Not a single San Jose Shark to be seen. Your goalie just took a knee to the head and you have four Canucks checking out if he's all right. Not one of his own damn teammates. Like stuff like that. If that team didn't get bag skated that night by like a la Herb Brooks, David Quinn should have been fired on the spot. They got bag skated by uh, Pittsburgh the next night. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, so that happens in a, what, 10-1 loss, and their response to that is to lose 10-3. It's, it's just shockingly, unacceptably bad. Like, is that team going to win 10 games this year? Well, teams don't tank, so we'll, we'll they'll right the ship and regress to the main. Ten goal, letting in 10 goals in consecutive games is like, you're, you're having people historic, cancel. Literally historic. People are canceling season ticket renewals for that. Like, they, this team is in a bad place. There's no way that Quinn was expected to come into San Jose and do anything other than, you know, hold the fort during the rebuild. But this is bad even for this. You can't, you can't have this kind of loser mentality in the modern NHL. You can't have it during a tough economic time where you still need butts and seats. This is going to be rough for San Jose here in the... What is it? League worst goal differential through the first X games. Like that is. But their goalies have better goals against average than the tandem in Edmonton. Because they face a billion shots a game. And their their only point this year came from Colorado, which is hysterical to me. Oh, they got Vegas coming up. So maybe another point's around the corner. <laughs> oh my God, dude. It's rough. It is not easy watching. I want to be careful about how much I, I say because they're playing Detroit. Yeah, we need to we need to be careful here. Yeah, tempting fate a little bit, but. Yeah, the the San Jose Sharks are doing something terrible. And Red Wings fans will say they'll be happy to tell uh, San Jose fans, just because you're this bad, all that matters is what place you are at the end of the season. If you were 32nd by a hair or 32nd by historic margins, you still have the same percentage opportunity to win the draft lottery, which is unlikely still, statistically. Well, now the pressure's on the team playing San Jose because... Nobody wants to be the team that gives up the first or allows San Jose to get their first win of the season. Yeah. And I definitely don't want it to be the Red Wings. 
hey, at least something playing out in favor of the Sharks is Macklin Celebrini is uh, leading the NCAA in scoring at 17 years old, and Cole Iserman has 18 goals in 12 games with the NDDP. <laughs> For their sake, I hope they don't drop down more than one in the draft lottery because this is tough to watch. Okay. Why don't we jump into overtime here on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to join the so-called Dub Dub Club, you allow us to host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA. You allow us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. You help support the growth of the show and, and everything in between. You get benefits like the Discord, the bonus episodes and bonus content, and you're entered into all of our giveaways automatically, like the two tickets to every Red Wings home game. So again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. Let's take some questions from our patrons. Uh, Give Woman the Heart says, hey guys, you're Boston-based patron here. I can't wait to show up to work in my Wings gear tomorrow. My question is this, do you think the calculus on bridge versus long-term extension has changed for either Cider or Raymond based on the start to the season. Also, can we appreciate that Cider is quietly third in the league for assists by a defenseman behind Quinn Hughes and uh, Philip Peronik? <laughs> yeah, Phil's <laughs> having a good season in Vancouver. I don't think the calculus has changed in that I think a bridge would be bad for Detroit. Oh, a thousand percent. Uh, I think the start to the season's probably, you know, up the dollar signs next to both of their contracts, but... Yeah, it, I'm still aiming for eight years on both, if possible. I think it's possible on Cider. I'd say it's less likely on Raymond, but you never know. I I don't even know that the dollar signs going up is a function of how well they're performing rather than just the passage of time. Raymond probably dispels some doubt in terms of, at least so far, in terms of how much he's worth, and maybe the, the needle moved on money because of that so far, but it's still early. But for Cider, is. I think he's had better stretches of hockey. It's just I think the closer we get to realizing the new salary cap and as more comparable contracts come out that are higher, he's going to get a higher pay. And that's just, we'll see. You can't call it a miss until you see what the contract is, but that could be a miss from Eiserman and, and company by not having that done sooner. Or the answer might be that Cider and, and Claude Lemieux, his agent, are just not interested in signing any sooner. Question here from Walt Partlow says, did everyone sing to Ryan at the live podcast recording? Yeah, I have to throttle Prashanth when I see him because everyone did sing happy birthday, which was very nice, actually. Wasn't him that set that up. Was so, that's all I'll say. It wasn't me, but I know who it was. It was no one in this room. I can guarantee you yeah, that. It was Abby, wasn't it? Anyhow, um, everyone was very kind. Thank you. Uh, someone told me I didn't look a day over 31, which was funny. That was generous of them. Yeah. I did slap their drink out of their hands. And run away with my hair falling out behind me. Uh, Tim Henderson says, finally made it out to a winged wheel podcast night and we win in that fashion. Great game. I hope someone asked Martian why he was so pissy. Uh, question is, who surprises you with how good they are when you see them in person? Raymond was on a whole new level last night and was playing keep away a few times. For me, at least, if I'm talking about last night specifically, comfort. I was mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised by him. We had a conversation at dinner uh, about someone who uh, who made it, who looks way worse in person, which I won't go down that rabbit hole right now, but Comfort looked really, really good. We watch a lot of Red Wings games and we go to a lot of games, so I'm always interested in the other teams a lot because you only get a small window of opportunity to see some of their stars. Super impressed with David Pasternak. Nice. The way he can shoot a puck is... It's top, easily, easily top five, easily top five in the league. And I am very bullish on that. 
I was actually very impressed with Poitras as, as well. He's re- he's is he a, he's a rookie, right? Yeah. It, you'd never know because he's so patient with the puck and he's willing to make some very creative plays, which a lot of rookies would never even try because they would never play another minute that game. Yeah, the way he performed in junior, like that has translated up really well. Boston's not an easy team to crack, so good for him. Mm-hmm. And of course, Boston has another gem like that. Yeah, I remember when... Pasternak's contract was coming up and the negotiations were going for a while and Boston's like number that they wanted him at was so insulting. And it's like, this dude is probably one of the most underappreciated elite players in the league. Like, is he McDavid McKinnon level? No, but he's not as far off as people think. Like he is just a problem to play against. Yeah. I was very impressed by you give that guy a sniff and he will make you pay. Yeah. Also, I want to second what you said, Tim. Raymond, like watching Raymond in person is a treat. Watching from above and watching the whole play play out allows you to see which players really read the ice very well. We talk a lot about hockey IQ on this show, and a lot of that has to do with space, finding space, generating space, uh, understanding the way space is going to develop even before it's there, and getting that bird's eye view is really uh, a cool way to do that. Bill Nye the Thigh Guy says, I think it's safe to say there's no easy wins against this team anymore. Going up against great teams like Boston's and New Jersey's, then getting a win no longer feels like a fluke. Do you think the early success was because of a few moves or acquisitions that were made or the mindset of the team changing? Yes. It has to be both. Like you, You've seen the, the mentality of this team change over the past few years. I said last year was a formative year, and this year Detroit feels like they have an identity. Like It, it starts with Dylan Larkin punching... Matthew Joseph in the face in that Tampa Bay game a while back. But now this is like, as you mentioned, Evan, like this is a Detroit team that all understands each other and has each other's backs. And I feel like they have an identity, but you also don't do this without adding Shane Goss's bear and JT Comfort, et cetera, et cetera. The Mexinadian says, who on this current team do you see as a dark horse to possibly be extended? I'm a big clean costume guy. I know it's not exactly a hot take and he's not going to be like a anything more than a depth physical presence but i he, i think he's a talented player for yeah he, had, for the he, he had a nice move last night like his hands were a little bit better i mean i expect his hands to be like mine <laughs> made <laughs> yeah. of stone but he actually had a really nice play last night so yeah i'd go with that yeah sneaky good hands yeah dark horse i don't lucas know, raymond yeah i don't know if there's anybody who could be considered a dark horse uh, but players on one-year contracts are eligible for extensions on January 1st. And if Shane Gossespierre is not extended by January 2nd, I'm upset. Yeah, it, it, I think if he's not, it's because Gossespierre wants to test the market because he has earned himself quite a bit of money. Yeah. Richard uh, Clough says, does last night's game give you more hope that Detroit can be a competitive wildcard team when playoffs approach? They were definitely dominant throughout most of the game. I will say they have shown a lot through the course of the season, but especially gutsy wins like the Boston one that yes they can hang in games that matter with playoff implications do they have the talent to get there over an 82 game season that one is is not a certain answer the start to the season has really pushed me towards it's way more likely than maybe I gave it credit for but they're they're showing the right qualities right now for a team that can that can hang in that space Dylan Larkin's Nana says, uh, you've talked in the past about how Larkin and Valena were some of the only true good skaters on the team. I'm curious if that opinion still holds after the additions or if Wallman has made the next step. Wallman is also one of the really good skaters on the team. Wallman, Sherratt, Sider are all good skaters. Uh, Sprong was surprisingly quick, speaking of things I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, not a not a ton beyond that, but definitely way more than there used to be. It's your boy Alice is knowing what you know now. If you can go back to the draft, would you stick with Danielson or pick Benson? Pass. It's a I think I've made my uh <laughs> Benson opinion. I think I've made my yeah, my opinion very clear on what I would do in that draft. It is extremely it, these are no win questions, but I the only reason I brought this one onto air is because I want to call out what Benson is doing in Buffalo. That kid is he is doing, as advertised. He's doing nothing right now. Injured? Yep. <laughs> but the what like his talent level that he's demonstrated at Buffalo is Yep. You can't be upset with the Danielson pick based on what we saw from the moment he was drafted, and I love the fact that he's a center, but Benson is a very talented kid. Again, as advertised. And last one here from Jonathan Hurd says, would you consider Wallman a part of the core? Where do you cap how many players should make up a core? Further, what would you attribute more to what makes a core player a core player? Does it have to do with how they contribute to the team's identity, or do you weight it more towards production and impact value? Well, it's both. Wallman, yeah, could absolutely be considered part of the core because to be part of a true core to a team, you have to play the style the team likes to play and you have to be really damn good. It's as simple as that. I'm a little bit more conservative with what I call a core. I think a core is your elite players. Your players where if something happened and you had to protect like four or five guys in my mind, that's who you protect. Now, that changes from team to team. Like if you're talking about Colorado, then yeah, it's hard to move anyone up with McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr, etc. But I'll challenge you here a bit. If you're saying five players off the Red Wings currently. Up to. Wallman's comfortably in that five. I'm giving you four players, not five. Okay. Larkin, Cider, Raymond, Clean Costin. <laughs> Clean the dream, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's a fair answer. I just think you like I'm not saying like is Devon Taves part of Colorado's core? Yes. Okay, then you're right about Jake Wall. Uh, that stands. Okay. Wait, who's their core? Rantanen. The whole Landis damn Gog, team. Everyone. McKinnon. Jeez. Byram. The McCarr, fans. You, the fan. Yeah. Uh, the calculus changes once you get into a more talented team. Anyways, a good question. All right, folks, uh, we are wiped. We're going to record our Patreon exclusive and wrap up this episode. Folks, thank you all so much for listening, for tuning in. If you're a new listener who who learned about the show from uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, welcome. For those of you who attended Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, thank you so much. Uh, Chris Osgood, Ken Daniels, and thank you for the shout-out on the broadcast last night, Ken. Much appreciated. Uh, we can't say thank you enough. To all of our Patreon supporters, especially our name-level sponsors on Patreon, uh, we thank you, thank you, thank you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Jordan Bernaski, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutana Nanoluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, D-Town Westside, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Happy Birthday Ryan, thank you, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassan Al-Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Never Go Full Kyle, 
RA, Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Ryan Vargas, Scott Martin, Scree, and Lube. That's what I appreciate about you. Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Andrew Broderick, Axel Sandy Palica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D Boss Snip Show, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Ferk Houston, NHL to Portland Baby, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, Wishing Ryan a Happy Birthday, Thank You, X, formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.